Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. Sit back, relax, and listen to tonight's show. Let's join our host, Ted Odorico, as he introduces tonight's special guest. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to a brand new season here on Golf Talk Live. This is hard to believe, but it's season number nine. Uh, uh, I'm still a gas, if you will, that I've been on the air for nine years. I'm surprised you haven't thrown me off, but uh, I'm glad you guys uh, have been sticking with me all this time. It's been a lot of fun. I enjoy it. And I got a great show for you tonight. I'm going to introduce my guest here in just a moment, but I want to remind everybody uh, just of a couple of things. Of course, we are live every Thursday evening, and normally the show uh, begins at 6 p.m. Central uh, to 8 p.m. or 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, depending on where you are. Um, but for the first few shows, I like to kind of do a, uh, a light version, if you will. Uh, the Coach's Corner panel doesn't start until March the 4th will be the first one. So that usually covers the first half of the show. And then the second half is when I uh, do my, my live guest interview. So uh, we're just doing an hour program tonight uh, with my special guest uh, and for the next couple of weeks. And then once we get into March, that's when the full uh, show sort of hits the air. So that will be from 6 to 8 Central, as I said, or 7 to uh, 9 Eastern time. So uh, glad you could join us. Thanks for, uh, for tuning in. And I'm going to introduce to the, this evening's very special guest. Then we're going to jump right into our conversation. Um, actually, our, our guest was um, uh, joined me the, earlier this week on Tuesday on the other program I do, The Women of Golf, with my good friend and co-host, LPJ professional Cindy Miller. Uh, he joined us on that show, and I wanted to have him come back so we can talk and expand a little bit more uh, about what he's doing and how he's sort of uh, helping to grow the game and, and sharing uh, some of the history of the game a little bit as well. So we're going to talk about that, and his name, of course, is Dr. Bern Bernacki, and he is the president of the Golf Heritage Society. Uh, and Dr. Bernacki is a community-based, self-employed family physician, uh, physician excuse me, of about 35-plus years uh, who obviously, as we all do, loves this game. Uh, he's played golf in a variety of ways, including with hickory, uh, steel, and, of course, modern era shafts. Uh, always, uh, as he said, with a period-appropriate uh, golf ball. Uh, he's also very active in youth development and drug prevention activities, having recently uh, completed a leadership role uh, with the first tee in Pittsburgh. We'll talk to him about that tonight again a little bit. Uh, and he serves uh, currently as uh, the membership of the Golf Heritage Society, uh, currently as their president of the organization. So, uh, please, uh, once again, welcome to the air with me, uh, Dr. Byrne Bernacki. Good evening, Dr. Byrne. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Ted. I'm delighted to be with you and your audience, especially in the uh, on the first tee as you tee off the new season. Congratulations on uh, starting season number nine. 
Well, I thank you. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate they haven't thrown me off uh, the air yet. <laughs> no, they haven't gotten tired of hearing me yet, I guess. So um, I'm very, very blessed in that respect. But, you know, I, I really I, thank you, by the way. I, I love this game. And, and uh, you know, in addition to teaching and doing other things, um, uh, you know, this game, I, I really enjoy, uh, you know, sharing some of the insight from my guests. And, um, you know, when the opportunity presented itself to have you on, I, I've never really sort of covered this area as much. So um, it's been a pleasure to, you know, have you, as I mentioned just a moment ago, to have you earlier in the week with Cindy and I, and then back again this Thursday uh, to have a little bit more expansive conversation. So just for those that maybe are not familiar, uh, Dr. Byrne, with the uh, Golf Heritage Society, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about uh, what it is and when it was formed and and sort of just the the, the background a little bit of of, uh, the society. Sure. Well, the Golf Heritage Society, three-year-old organization, and we're really dedicated uh, to preserving the uh, traditions and teaching the history of the game. We're here to share knowledge and promote appreciation for the history and the traditions of the game. Um, And we like to say that we educate, we entertain other folks and ourselves. We like to socialize. Um, and we like to give back a little bit, working with the youngsters and the oldsters and um, those veterans that you mentioned earlier, Ted. Uh, we, we started out being a collectors-only group, two fellows um, who were collectors, one of clubs and balls and another of books, uh, though, though they were Bob Kuntz of Ohio and Joe Murdoch of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Um, you know, communicated by letter, um, and they put together a uh, communication system of uh, people of like mind. And from there, the collectors group, oh, grew to be over a 1,000 people of varying interest in in collecting. So over time, um, as the environment of the golf world has grown and changed, become more um, diverse, Uh, our society uh, decided, well, our board said, you know, uh, to really be more inclusive and and represent all the uh, people who are interested in the game and the uh, uh, areas of interest attached to the game, we really need to rethink ourselves. So we've gone from the Golf Collector Society to the Golf Heritage Society. And that means in addition to the collectors, we have Oh, these players uh, of heritage golf, the pre- and post-1900 Hickory players, the classics are with your Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, and Gary Player era with your steel shaft persimmon heads and your blade irons. And we have the artists and the writers and the professionals and the teachers and the architects and the course supers, the country club members and the, um, the league golfers, everybody who's interested in the game uh, young or old, men or women, are, are welcome to become part of the Golf Heritage Society because they all love the game of golf. So there you have it. That's who we are. Well, that's a great uh, a mix, if you will, of a variety of different areas and different genres and so forth um, within the society. So I also noticed, too, that... Um, that uh, the Golf Heritage Society, or, or we're going to call it GHS for short, is a nonprofit organization. So it's not a for-profit organization. 
Uh, is it essentially self-funded? Is that, you know, what do you do? Do you have uh, different projects throughout the year to raise funds to help uh, be able to do some of the things that you do? Or, or maybe you can give us a little better idea of wh- how that works. Right. Well, thanks, Ted. Yes, we, we uh, depend heavily on our membership. Uh, we we um, uh, have a dues, um, and we are also developing other revenue streams. Uh, we have a couple of uh, opportunities uh, to share with folks and have sponsorships. Uh, we have gatherings, and we have an annual meeting, uh, and we have uh, donors uh, and sponsors and contributors uh, to drive the um, the uh, idea of what we do and get behind uh, some of the initiatives that we do and are in uh, a process of development. So we are uh, very fortunate uh, to have a growing membership. Um, we, we've gone from 750 about a year and a half ago, and with the name change and the, and the um, uh, breadth of the organization uh, broadening, um, we, we uh, uh, are really pushing 1,000. And I just talked with one of our uh, recent board additions, Taba Dale, who's a writer, uh, golf art uh, expert, and uh, golf travel um, uh, um, director. Uh, Taba brings a lot of uh, ideas to our society, and she's connected me with several of the women in golf organizations, and I look very much to having similar conversations as this one uh, to exploring um, how we can uh, invite uh, that group and and other groups like that to uh, join us. So as we uh, are able to um, provide uh, services um, and uh, communication and education, people are more likely to want to uh, jump in as a sponsor and help uh, help us uh, financially become uh, more and more sustainable. You know, it's interesting. Um, when you were with us on Tuesday, you, um, you know, shared a, a few stories with us, and we'll get you to share um, some others with us tonight and that. But you, you obviously have a chance, not only through your uh, web presence or your social media presence, um, but obviously you have a chance to um, meet with a variety of different groups, and we'll talk about some of those in just a moment. Um, but what's some of the most surprising questions? I mean, what what is, uh, I guess, the from a curiosity standpoint, if I didn't know that much about the history of the game, what's some of the more common, uh, you know, interesting questions that you get about the history of the game? Well, there's a good question. Um, you know, Ted, uh, the... the... <laughs> Important um, aspects and assets of our organization, the number one asset of the GHS, the Golf Heritage Society, is the knowledge base of our membership. And if you imagine somebody who gets interested in something and then gets really interested and devotes a lot of time and it becomes a, a hobby and a passion, we have a lot of those folks. And some of our members, as I said, we bring to life the people places, events, and artifacts of the game of golf. So um, when you have uh, someone who becomes a, an authority on the Ryder Cup, they really they may have collectibles and they may have um, a real deep knowledge of the history of the players and the events and uh, uh, collect insider stories. So these are the kind of um, 
individuals that uh, um, gravitate to us. And really, there are some folks who aren't that heavy-duty interested in a particular thing that just enjoy like mm-hmm. crazy listening to them uh, spin a yarn or a story or, or give you real insight into uh, the game or the event or the person. Uh, so it's kind of fun to do that. So we get a lot of um, uh, folks who are interested in people like Bob Jones, and uh, we like to connect the modern players, men and women, uh, with uh, their predecessors going all the way back. And you know how people are. They like to uh, say this person wouldn't have made it then or et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, they're all different right. eras and they're different games, if you will, because of the equipment and such. But the beauty of it is they're all passionate about the uh, the the play and the and the traditions and the culture and the respect that goes along with the game of golf. So I don't know if that gives you um, a, sort of a, a paintbrush picture, Ted, of uh, of who we are and 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 how we do it. Yeah, that's a great way uh, of sort of summarizing uh, the overall um, experience. So let me ask you, you know, as I mentioned uh, at the very beginning, as I was reading out, um, you know, some of uh, your um, accolades, if you will, and some of your uh, parts of, of, of what you do and, and how you uh, approach this. Um, I mentioned that you actually play the game in a variety of different ways, uh, including with um, some of the old hickory style clubs, and right up to what we we see uh, today out on the PJ Tour, um, but I also took note that you mentioned that you play with a period appropriate golf ball. So let's take the Hickory uh, era, if you will. Uh, earlier on, uh, for those that uh, may not be familiar with that, that's a, a certainly before my time, anyways, uh, for the most part. But um, that era, what was the differences? Number one, with the clubs. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And then also, what was the golf ball like uh, during that period? I mean, obviously, it's it's changed over time and, and progressed like much uh, of the rest of the game. But maybe you could kind of give us a little bit of an insight as to that particular area uh, era of the of the game. Okay. Well, Ted, I'm going to ask everybody to just close their eyes, and I'm going to wind back the clock not 50 years, not 100 years, but a couple hundred years. And back in the day, um, there were people that hit things around. And, um, you know, there were predecessors to the game of golf. And anyone who looks at a golf history book will hear the word golf and the, um, the Dutch and different uh, uh, people who really um, had uh, interest in what we have come to evolve into the game we call golf. So people have been whacking at objects for a long time. So it got a little bit more formalized um, in um, the British Isles, and there were folks who really took to it, and they tended to play with a feathery ball. And the feathery ball Mm -hmm. was made by hand one at a time. A good craftsman could make two in a day, and they were leather stitched together kind of like a baseball is, but stuffed with one hat full, top hat full, of goose feathers. They were wet and stuffed mm. into there and sewed together. Well, I can tell you that 
those uh, balls don't last very long. And if you play with them and hit them around, they might last uh, two or three holes, maybe four or five, but eventually they fall apart. They get out of round, and they need to be replaced. So you can imagine that it was a little expensive to be able to uh, stay uh, in, in golf balls, so to speak. We lose them, but they just broke them. Well, I can tell you that the uh, folks that were able to afford that kind of golf ball and that kind of sport were the wealthy. So the pictures that mm-hmm. you see of the societies with the red jackets, etc., they represented the early uh, formal game of golf. From golf, it was only when certain folks who caddied for those uh, wealthy players, some of them were club makers and some of them were uh, uh, feathery ball makers, uh, they um, saw the packing material, which was put together on ships uh, to prevent breakage, etc. And those those strips were made of a sort of a firm uh, material, uh, packing material, which we now know is uh, gutta percha rubber from Malaysia. And mm. when you would break off a piece of that and form it, you could form it into a, a sphere, and you could start to whack that around kind of like a golf ball, um, only it wouldn't break so easily. So the game evolved into the caddies hitting those around and um, starting to understand that as that ball developed, it was smooth, and then when you nicked it around, it would go straighter. And before you know it, a lot of the people in Scotland took up this this game. Now, if we all think about in America our passion for the game of baseball and how we as kids played out front, we might have played uh, stick ball, wiffle ball, whatever kind of ball, whatever way you played it, however you played it, mm. it was passion about playing that game of, of, of baseball or some form of it. Well, in Scotland, when right. this little gutty ball got to be going, uh, the folks would play a one-hole or a two-hole, whatever they had space for, and they would play it like we played baseball in the backyard or on the front street. And that is why Scotland were the folks who uh, really immersed themselves in this game and are known as the people who um, are the, um, the, the society that really took up the game of golf. So um, that ball, the gutty ball, uh, was the ball that people played in the pre-1900 era uh, with the smooth-faced, heavier irons. And then as the balls became more refined, they were pressed and molded and had a different flight pattern. And that lasted till the turn of the century. And if I can continue to tell you that a man named Haskell uh, really uh, had his name attached to it, but many people were trying to um, uh, produce a better ball that would go farther and straighter. So they had uh, every variety of golf ball being made, which were semi-solid and wrapped and wound uh, with a uh, with a, uh, a fantastic uh, variety and, and golf collecting area to look at um, itself as a fascinating. Um, opportunity for us to really 
um, experience and enjoy all the all the variety that uh, that there was uh, in in equipment development. So if I can say one more thing, that that mm-hmm. that hard golf ball sure. would mark up those those long nose clubs, and they would sort of ruin them. So you had to put a put a um, a new face in there. And when you put a new face in there, uh, it was a different kind of kind of feel, and that uh, introduced a development uh, over the course of time for uh, a new era of clubs. And the post-1900 era is just chock full of different design of golf clubs. And the collectors, you pick up a collecting book on golf, and you'll see any number of amazing variety of of golf clubs so ted i'll I'll, i'm sorry but i'll stop there and let uh let you uh direct redirect the uh the questioning no it's very uh very very interesting to hear um you know some of the history uh of of how things sort of got started number one but also um you know really very innocently um, the game was sort of developed over time through not only generations, but uh, but also from uh, many different places. So, uh, you know, even though I, I agree with you, as, as you suggest that, you know, Scotland really sort of brought it together uh, in the very early stages, it was it was really a, a lesser form of golf, if you will, in, in other places as well. Um, it, it's just very, very interesting. Um, I want to ask you very Absolutely. quickly, because something you mentioned the yeah, the other day that you mentioned on the show, which a lot of people don't realize, uh, but about the hickory clubs themselves, the hickory shafts, um, you had to, you know, you, you couldn't just uh, play with them. You actually had to have them treated. You had to treat them. Explain why that had to happen. What, what was the purpose of treating the hickory shaft? And yeah, what did, what did I, I you do to treat them? Well, I, I mentioned that, um, you know, uh, when we were playing with the hickory clubs, you you want to keep them uh, straight and um, um, you nourish them by putting a little oil on the shaft. And uh, the clubs, the, the older clubs, uh, which were handmade uh, before we had stainless steel, they would, they would rust. And one of the jobs of the caddy was mm. to maintain uh, the clubs so that the shaft was uh, kept, the grip was kept, and you never wanted to hand uh, your uh, player, a club that had any spot of rust. So at the end of the round, you'd rub it out with sort of an emery-type uh, cloth and put a little oil on it and make sure that it was stored just so, so it was ready for use the next time in play. Yeah. So I, I mentioned that Very a lot of those uh, the, those those clubs uh, were made in little towns, St. Andrews and um, uh, um um, just different little towns in in uh, England and in Scotland, and a lot of those club makers uh, came over to this country and became uh, professionals. A lot of our golf clubs and those clubs would come over as well. And one of those sets of clubs wound up in West Virginia, up on the hill at Oakhurst. And someone said, "What's that?" And they the the gentleman. Uh, said uh, golf clubs and they wanted to know more about it so a group of farmers got together and uh, they made six holes up in Oakhurst West Virginia and they got uh, to have a lot of fun and they played for a medal that they called the Oakhurst medal and 
in America, it was the first medal that was played and contested for in the United States, 1884. And that medal now is on display in the USGA Museum with a complete story in much more detail than we have time to talk about today. How about mm-hmm. that one, Ted? <laughs> you know, it's very interesting because I've noticed over the last several years um, a a real interest in um, a lot of folks wanting to play that sort of um, a more traditional game and um, from that era, particularly you see a lot of hickory tournaments uh, popping up all over the place. Um, and I think um, obviously there's a, a certain nostalgia for, for wanting to understand that sort of the roots of the game and, and how it was developed. Um, but I think it's just, it, it's, it's a different type of challenge because obviously, you know, when we look at the, the modern equipment today and, and uh, you know, game improvement clubs and things like that, the technology has, has gotten such that, um, even a less accomplished player can still hit a pretty good ball. Uh, but those clubs back in those days uh, weren't really as easy to hit as they are today, were they? Well, I, I've, I've had the uh, pleasure of attempting to play the game uh, with a feathery ball and uh, older clubs. And I've uh, played gutty uh, uh, ball tournaments and, and fun. The, the very first thing to say is we do it for fun. We do it for a new experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, we still love our modern game and going out with our usual buddies, but some of us, just some of us, uh, have that intrigue that we like to, to find out more about what it was like back then for real. So once you hold one of those old clubs in your hand, the next question is, well, you know, what would it be like to play them? Yeah, and, and our first tea kids, uh, that's, that's commonly how they get interested in it. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. You've, uh, as I mentioned in the in the opening comments, you've um, worked with the first tee of Pittsburgh. Tell us a little bit about. I know we talked about that on Tuesday, but I want to share with with this audience being different um, a little bit about how you got started with the first tee and what were some of the things that you've done with them. Well, Ted, I live in Pittsburgh, and um, I'm a kitty kid, and I live about three miles uh, from the. Um, municipal golf course at Shenley Park, and I played there as a kid. I'm I'm 68, so I I started when I was age nine. So it's a lot of uh, years of golf, but I started there at that municipal course with five clubs that I had, and two of them happened to be hickory shaft. I didn't know hickory from steel from anything. I just wanted to go out and bang it around. So over the course of time, I I, I enjoyed playing there. And it so happens that First Tee has a headquarters. Um, uh, the First Tee of Pittsburgh uh, uses that particular golf course as its flagship. And I've been um, blessed to be involved with the First Tee of Pittsburgh. I mentioned to you, Ted, and to Cindy uh, that I'm a family doctor, and we all know that you know we're suffering through the, the COVID uh, scourge. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're also um, mindful of the continuing problems we have with drugs and people making bad decisions and going the wrong direction in life. Well, the first key concept is really directed toward um, helping young people um, understand um, life choices 
and develop life skills through the game of golf. And I can't say enough about the the people that have put it together. Their headquarters is in Florida, and they have uh, chapters all over the country. Uh, We have uh, volunteers uh, in those chapters, and we have professionals who uh, train the volunteers uh, to uh, help the young people understand how the concepts of the uh, program, uh, teaching life lessons, can be taught through the game of golf, sportsmanship, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, honesty, integrity, these kind of things that are components of the game of golf itself. So I've been very fortunate to um, understand that when you give young people an opportunity to get interested in a wholesome um, uh, uh, activity such as golf, they can socialize, they they, uh, uh, enjoy each other's company. These are kids from all different walks of life, some more advantaged than others, and they really learn from each other. They help each other, and they grow up together uh, with each other. And it's fascinating and really wonderful to be a part of it. Yeah, and I I couldn't agree with you more. I think that there are so many lessons that can be learned. A lot of people, I've always said this for many, many years, that golf and life mimic one another um, so very much. And I think that's one of the appeals um, that brings a lot of people to the game is it's not just, um, you know, getting out there and hitting the golf ball around, um, you know, the golf course, but it's, you know, you're, you're out there, you know, in nature and you're, you know, with a group of, of friends or some, sometimes, you know, people you've met for the first time. Um, but it, it's very individually challenging, um, you know, whether you're playing in a group or not. Uh, there's a lot of individual challenges, and it uh, sometimes can be very rewarding and other times not so much. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of lessons that you can learn uh, both on and off the golf course that complement uh, one another. I want to come back in just a moment and talk about uh, veterans, but uh, I just need to take a quick uh, break here, if you will, and uh, and hear a little bit about uh, Golf Tips Magazine, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, Equipment, training aids, accessory, and apparel reviews. Golf destinations and travel tips for every budget. And so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, I'm here this evening with my very special guest, Dr. Bern Bernacki, uh, the president of the Golf Heritage Society. And we've been talking about not only the society, but a little bit about the history of the game and we were just talking about a moment um, ago about uh, the first tee of Pittsburgh uh, but there, uh, and, and some of the, the benefits of, of working with these youngsters and helping them through uh, sometimes some challenging uh, times in their lives and using the game of golf to do that. Um, and Dr. Byrne, you also um, work with some veteran organizations as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, I myself uh, am... Um 
focused uh, a lot on the uh, youth and teaching history through the game of uh, golf with uh, uh, the Hickory play. Uh, we have some of our members who are uh, much uh, greatly involved um, with the um, veterans groups uh, and seniors groups uh, and getting out there for those folks to um, really connect uh, their memories because some of these folks uh, don't play or can't play, but they can appreciate the game. So it, it's fun to uh, assist people who can uh, play a little, uh, maybe maybe a uh, putting game with a seniors group uh, uh, or a veterans group uh, or, or disabled group um, uh, really stimulates interest. Uh, it elevates um, the psyche uh, and it refreshes uh, to um, go back to the days when you enjoyed uh, playing the game, getting that fresh air, having that competitive spirit. And, you know, you can end a, an experience that day and then do more. You can open a book, you can go online, and you can continue to connect uh, with the game. And for us, we feel greatly um, uh you know, satisfied that we can help folks through the game of golf uh, really continue to be positive um, and uh, be hopeful uh, and continue to enjoy um, uh, and recreate through the game of golf, whether it's playing it or appreciating that history or those collectible items. So I think that's a, a connect that we do with the kids with the oldsters uh, and with those veterans that I mentioned. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned a moment ago um, referring to our, our current uh, environment with this pandemic. And, you know, one of the, uh, I guess, when you look at it overall, it's obviously uh, a lot of tragedy for, for many out there and a lot of uncertainty at times. But what was really very interesting is um, this past year, that golf managed to really um, have a resurgence. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, for a few years, golf had, had you know, kind of stagnated a little bit. You know, not as many co golf courses were being built here in the United States, certainly overseas there were some. Uh, but it kind of, I don't want to say topped out, but uh, just, you know, there, there wasn't the same enthusiasm um, uh, and growth in, in a lot of areas. And obviously because of the pandemic, a lot of folks were, uh, either forced to stay indoors or uh, were very limited. And golf was one of those, uh, I guess, shining lights, if you will. And a lot of uh, individuals were able to get out and play, not that, not the ones that traditionally played, but a lot of new people as well. Did you notice that in your area as well, that there was a lot of people out playing that maybe had never, or, or some of your experiences uh, through your organization that people were sort of outreaching a little bit to an area of the game that maybe uh, normally they wouldn't have, uh, you know, given normal circumstances. Did you, first off, did you see that? And what were some of the opportunities to share the knowledge about the game? Uh, did you um, do, you know, while we were going through this? Well, Ted, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, as they used to say in the 60s, you hit it right on the screws. Um, the, the COVID era has uh, both driven us inside um, and, and we're kind of secluded 
and we uh, have some of us uh, been able to escape and get out onto a golf course because it's okay and it's safe and there's fresh air. So first I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about that, that the surge in new players is wonderful and helping mm-hmm. people appreciate the game for its beauty, uh, its social aspect, its recreation with uh, good old-fashioned fresh air and sunshine is just great. If you live in a um, climate that it's a little cold, like it is in Pittsburgh right now, about uh, 22 degrees. Right. Uh, I won't be playing golf tomorrow. I might go skiing, but <laughs> I will tell you that I will be online on our Facebook page putting on some Valentine postcards and referencing some uh, fun things of collectibles because I know a lot of folks are shut in and they would really like to go to a website like ours, golfheritage.org for the Golf Heritage Society or our Facebook page and see cool stuff. And we're gearing up Mm -hmm. for the Pebble Beach, AT&T, and we're excited because our members are pulling things out. Uh, And if you go to our website or if you go to our Facebook page, it's an example of the value of having friends who collect and share uh, and are knowledgeable and uh, good teachers uh, about the the history of that event and the whole uh, culture of the uh, Bing Crosby and the clam bake and all those things all rolled up into an entertainment opportunity uh, through the game of golf. So, you know, whether you're in Florida playing golf and then pulling up a cool drink or you shovel some snow and you want to come in um, and uh, uh, relax and and turn on to the game, um, we're going to be there for you. Yeah, and, and, you know, we we talked to the other day a little bit about how, um, you know, the importance of really this sort of next generation, uh, not just, you know, everyday folk, but even those playing on tour really need to have a good understanding of of where the game has has come from. And not just the, you know, the last generation that they may be familiar with or may have watched on TV, but even earlier generations to understand. And as I, you know, touched on, uh, particularly with women's golf, you know, most, uh, even many of the the young girls coming up on the LPGA right now or the Symmetra Tour, um, which is their sort of feeder tour, um, really don't know who the original 13 women that started the LPJ and really don't know a lot about their history. Uh, unfortunately, most of them, of course, passed on. There's only, uh, I believe, one or two that are left. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to understand really the roots of the game, particularly for, for the women, um, where it started and for them and, and how they, you know, they've gotten to where they, where they are now. Um, so I think that's really important. And obviously organizations like yourself that, you know, not just sort of foster the understanding of, the equipment side of it, but also the history of the game. I wanted to ask you a question because you, you mentioned something when you were talking about the, you know, the AT&T Pebble Beach, uh, you know, Pro-Am. And, of course, that's always been uh, a favorite event early in the season because it uh, draws a lot of celebrities and that. Why do you think, given as difficult as this game can be, and I think we can both attest it can be very difficult, why do you think it's so appealing uh, to so many people, particularly, you know, uh, you know, we see a lot of celebrities over the years. Um, you mentioned a few a moment ago. 
What do you think of the appeal of, of golf was to so many people, given the difficulty of the game? Well, you know, when someone's new at it, they'll hit the ball and it'll roll on the ground. Um, and I think when they get the ball in the air, uh, that's a big help, and it goes a little farther, and it takes a flight pattern. But when you hit that seven iron into the sky against the blue sky and you see it travel and it goes pretty close to where you wanted it to go, I know everybody in your audience right now is saying yes. <laughs> but when you chip that ball, it bounces where you wanted it to bounce on the green and it rolls along and it drops into the cup, that is um, its gratification and its affirmation. Yeah. And we all want that. That's what takes us. You know, it's it's me, funny it's, that you say that because, <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that, Dr. Vern, because I know working with a lot of my corporate clients, you know, there's been days when, you know, they'll, they'll get frustrated. They're just, you know, nothing's working. And exactly what you said, they'll hit that one shot, um, you know, whether it's their seven iron or what have you, but, and, and everything just seems to the stars aligned and everything just seems to go right. And it's like, well, I guess I'll be back next week. You know, you, at one moment, it looks like they're going to quit the game. And the next minute, it's like, I'll see you next week. So you're right. I, I, I think there's just a, a, a sort of an affirmation and just a, a feel-good moment when, when things seem to go right that, that sort of attracts a lot of people. Because I can remember, you know, for years, um, uh, Jack Lemon, of course, who played at the AT&T uh, Pebble Beach uh, Pro-Am for many, many years, uh, you know, struggled for years just making the, you know, making the grade, but he came back every year and uh, wow. he just loved yeah. the game so much. And, you know, so I can understand, uh, you know, somebody like that, that just, uh, you know, wants to give to the game and wants to do so much for it. And, you know, right to the, to the moment that he left us, uh, you know, left the earth, he, uh, he, he would play in that tournament, you know, even Absolutely. if he didn't make it, he'd, he'd do his, yeah, he'd do his best. So. The, the other uh, point uh, that I thought of uh, as you were talking uh, is that, you know, when, when, you're, uh, when you work hard, and we all do, and you're focused on something, uh, you need to recreate. We call it recreation. It's recreate. So when you get out yeah. and get the fresh air and you practice and you get it right, it's reinforcing that gratification. Um, not that we all need to shoot par but that we need to go out and do something for fun and do our best and literally leave some other things behind for a while and then be able to come back to our lives. So I think these entertainers, they work hard and, and they practice and practice, whether they're a dancer or a singer, uh, and we can all relate to those kinds of things so that when they have an opportunity mm -hmm. to be out there and celebrate, uh, with, you know, the, the, the other people that love this game, it, it's, it's beautiful. And Pebble Beach is, is noted for, for that interactive uh, nature, for sure. When you, you know, at some point you developed a strong interest um, about the history of the game, what was some of your earlier... Uh, earliest memories that really drew you to that? Um, what were some of the things that really made you sort of stop and say, wow, you know, I didn't know that or, or you know, I, I really want to learn more about that. What specifically do you recall earlier on as you were starting to un unpack, if you will, 
uh, your interest in the history of the game? What was it specifically that that resonated with you? You know, when you're uh, my, my my story, uh, and I'm sticking to it. I was in an antique store with my <laughs> wife, who was looking for a particular object, and I was looking up at the ceiling, and she noticed and said, "Well." Why don't you look for something about golf? And, you know, I, I said, gee, that's a pretty good idea. And about uh, 25 years and several thousands of dollars later, um, you know, <laughs> here we are. But, you know, when you, when you see a, a bunch of clubs in a, in a, um, in a basket uh, or in a corner in an antique shop and you look at them, they, you know, they, they may be old and they may just be dirty, uh, but every now and then, you know, you, you find something that speaks to you. And um, early on, Ted, uh, I found one of those those clubs, one of those hickory clubs with a, a handmade, and on the back of it is a lot of information. We call them the clique mark, and it's the maker's mark, and it's the stamp it's pounded into that handmade club that said, my shop and I made this. And, you know, there's the Stuart and the Nickel and the Condi and several kinds of those. And it may have an area where it was distributed uh, in the town where it was distributed or the pro shop and the pro who distributed it. So a lot of these clubs, Ted, they tell their own story. And the older the club, uh, the more interesting the story may be. So I started to understand that. And when I found out that there were people who got together and banged these things around, I started to learn from them. So when we get together, the Golf Heritage Society, and we gather, we have trade shows, and we show some stuff, we trade, we sell, we invite the public. And there's any number of opportunities to learn. So the honest answer to your question is when I go to a trade show, sometimes I have a few bucks and I want to buy something that's going to expand my book collection or my ball or club collection. Um, And sometimes I just see something that catches my eye, like ceramics or jewelry we're talking about. But I can also mm-hmm. tell you that there are times where I just went to a trade show and just walked around and asked questions and learned all day long. So it's it's an opportunity for for uh, robust learning. As you look forward into the future somewhat with the Gulf Heritage Society, what would you like to see as the as its mission and its journey continues? What would you like to see happen? Obviously, uh, I'm sure you would like to see it continue to grow. Um, but is there something down the road that uh, you and, and the other uh, members would like to see happen um, that's maybe currently not going on right now? What a great question. Ted, um, I just got off of a call with Region 5, Michigan, Ohio, in Kentucky, and we talked about um, what COVID has done to all of us, uh, but it's mm-hmm. also done some things for us. So we were a group of older, um, uh, usually gentlemen, um, and, and now we're more diverse, but we're all embracing technology 
to uh, learn about the game, learn about the people, places, things, uh, look at artifacts, etc. So I can say to you that we are in the process of welcoming more people through use of the technology than ever before. Uh, more people will look at the post I put on today on our Facebook uh, page uh, and on our website. They can come and visit. There's a, there's a front page and then there's a members only side where you can stay on for hours and hours. But all these opportunities to enrich um, the appreciation and the understanding of the game of golf are, are right there before us. So that I, as leader uh, of the society, I'm working with a board uh, who are across the country, uh, working with groups in person, um, and engaging with young and old and veterans, um, you know, and all kinds of uh, groups and opportunities with leagues and country clubs, and really basically sharing. So where we can do it in person, we sure will. But I can tell you that um, our direction is really to understand and embrace the technology so we can do a better job of reaching more people to help them enjoy and appreciate um, the deep traditions um, and enjoyment of the game. Very interesting. Um, And hopefully things will um, progress with the pandemic and allow you to be able to, um, you know, further develop some of the events and, and be able to do a lot of the events that I know you've got planned. Um, I think it's, you know, as I said the other day on, on the program in the morning, I, I think it's very, very important um, with, with everything in life, but, you know, here in golf, that people have a, a better understanding about the game, not just today's game, but the game from yesterday and yesterday and so on and so forth. Because I think sometimes sure. when you understand where things have, have progressed from, you have a greater appreciation um, really for the liberties that, that we have. And, mm. you know, I think sometimes we, for, we forget um, and we, you know, we take advantage of what's available for us right now without really understanding not so much the struggles. I mean, that's part of it too, but um, just the journey itself. I mean, you know, when you, we look at, um, you know, players like Arnold Palmer, Nicholas, and, 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 you know, Gary Player on the men's side, and then, you know, the Nancy Lopez's and, and so on and so forth on the women's side, um, you know, they were earlier pioneers, certainly when I was growing up, and there's many before them even, I think sometimes when you understand um, what they did to really spur um, the growth of this game and the interest, I mean, Arnold, you know, bring it to television as an example. Um, you know, before then it was kind of limited to country clubs and, and a few social circles, but now it's become uh, you know, more mainstream and international now, uh, you know, it's even gone that much further now. It's not just here in the United States and Canada, it's all over the world now and it's growing and growing in many nations that it's never been before. Uh, so there's not only a great history of the game, but it's developing a new future of the game as well. And I think that you uh, really have a great opportunity to work hand in hand with that. And I think it's, um, I think it's very, very unique, uh, the opportunities that you uh, are able to pass on to the next generations through programs like the first tee and, 
and also uh, many of the veteran programs as well. Um, are there some other areas that you're looking to expand into as well um, that uh, maybe you could touch on? Sure. Uh, you know, you, you make a very strong point. I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, say it. When when you talk about the, 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 the human nature of it, and particularly the individuals that made the clubs and uh, those those caddies and the, the class differences, these are all parts of history of the world, uh, not only of the game of golf. And we, we, we mm-hmm. enter uh, the realm of, of humanity through the game, and it is fascinating that you can pick up a biography, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, in one of several centuries and really appreciate um, uh, how they they played the game or how they appreciate it or how they uh, uh, strived to uh, be able to uh, achieve success. So there's any number of uh, uh, offshoots um, to uh, start with the game of golf, go into human nature, and come back to the game of golf. Uh, and that's one of the beauties of of uh, being in a group such as ours. One day you're you're learning about golf balls, and another day you're understanding who Walter Hagen was and what a competitive right. champion he was, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's fun for us and it's fascinating. So I think our goals, uh, if I if I could uh, summarize, Ted would be um, to make sure that, uh, th- that the game is, is open, uh, that, that the growing, uh, fastest-growing segment are, are women who are both understanding mm-hmm. that it's a fun game and it's a great social activity, uh, but also there's a tremendous amount of history attached to women in the sport. Uh, so, you know, that and, and, and the youth that we've talked about and – keeping our seniors engaged and connected by using some of this technology and showing them slides and assisting them to reminisce and remember good times uh, that they had around the game of golf. These are things that um, the Golf Heritage Society would feel uh, real good about if, if we can um, uh, continue to uh, successfully uh, follow our new direction and, and uh accomplish um, uh, connecting more and more people with the traditions and the, and the, the fun history of the game of golf. Very well put. Um, I think that's a great way to, to wrap up our segment. Um, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Byrne, for joining me this evening uh, here on Golf Talk Live. It's been very enlightening, very interesting. I've, uh, I know we can't get into everything. There's just so much to, to talk <laughs> about and, I would strongly yeah. encourage uh, anybody listening to the program uh, to go visit uh, golfheritage.org, which is, of course, the uh, website. You can check it out there, and you can also the link to their Facebook page is also uh, there as well. Um, go through the website. There's a lot of interesting information there, and if you want to reach out uh, to the uh, Golf Heritage Society as well and uh, maybe even become a member, uh, that option is available as well. So. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, well worth it. Uh, it's always good, as I said, to not only know where you're going, but where you've been. Um, and there's just lots of good information, not just about equipment uh, of years gone by, but also some of the people that were instrumental in getting us to where we are today. So a lot of good information there. Thank you for sharing um, uh, both earlier in the week and this evening with me and my audiences. Um, 
Dr. Byrne, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I hope you come back and and uh, hopefully uh, the next time you come back, we'll have all of this pandemic behind us and we can talk about maybe some of the great uh, events and, and uh, great things that you've been able to, to get out and do a little bit more freely uh, than maybe what's available right now. But in the meantime, continue the great work that you and the rest of the organization at the Gulf Heritage Society are doing. And we thank you very much for keeping the history of the game uh, out in the forefront. Okay, thank you so much for the opportunity. I would just love to come back and tell a few more stories. And uh, uh, I, I think you're a, a wonderful host, and I really enjoyed being with you and with Cindy earlier in the week. So, again, once again, thank you from the Gulf Heritage Society and myself. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Appreciate it. Have a great evening. All right. That was Dr. Byrne Bernacki, president of the Gulf Heritage Society. Uh, Join me this evening. And again, if you go to uh, golfheritage.org is their website. And again, you'll find their uh, link to their Facebook page as well. And as I said, a lot of great information, not only about collecting, but uh, uh, you can access many of the resources that are available and and, uh, also look at some of the features. And you can learn a little bit about the organization and also some of the upcoming events. Again, uh, again, some of them will, uh, you know, be uh, maybe put on hold or what have you, uh, given our current uh, uh, situation with the pandemic. But uh, all of the events uh, that they've got currently planned for 2021 are, uh, are listed there, so you can check them out. And maybe there's something in your area uh, that you can attend. But if not, you can certainly engage through their social media and through their website. And if you're somebody who's interested in history and uh, maybe you're a collector, maybe you're just somebody that enjoys uh might be an opportunity to join their membership and uh, become part of uh, a great society. I think it's a wonderful game. I've enjoyed it for many years myself, and I've enjoyed learning uh, a little bit this evening uh, with Dr. Bernacki. Um, All right, I will be back next week. Joining uh, both Cindy and I, and then again on Thursday night with me, is uh, Wes Whittingham. Uh, He is the VP of Sales at Volvic USA. Uh, we'll have him on the show next uh, Tuesday and then again with me on Thursday. So I hope you'll stay tuned. Uh, and then, as I mentioned earlier, as we get closer uh, and jump in the bunch of, uh, month of March, excuse me, uh, Golf Talk Live will go to its full broadcast from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. All right. I want to thank once again my very special guest, Dr. Bern Bernacki, president of the Golf Heritage Society, for joining me this evening. Thanks for a great show. I hope you enjoyed it. And I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Ted would like to thank this evening's special guest for joining him on the show. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. You can also listen to Golf Talk Live on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. Be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, send an email to ted at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.